Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Thanks for being here today. We are continuing to look through the Old Testament to see the stories of the Old Testament and understand their bearing upon our lives today and how the whole Old Testament, it's not just a bunch of old stories about people who are long gone, but it serves to set the stage to show us why we need a Savior in Christ Jesus and that God's plan was always for him to come. Genesis 15, 13, God was talking to Abram and said this to him, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and they will be enslaved and oppressed. And so, hundreds of years previous, God had told Abram that his descendants would be slaves in a foreign land, and we find that to be true at the beginning of Exodus. They are all living in Egypt. They are a huge population. God has blessed them, but they are enslaved. And this enslavement is leading to a very bitter life where the Egyptian overlords are, are making their lives very difficult. And actually, it had come to a point where the Egyptian emperor or king, Pharaoh, he uh, decreed that all of the sons of the Israelites should be destroyed, should be killed. Uh, first by the midwives who would give birth to them, and then when they were unwilling to do that, he asked all the Egyptians, when they found a Hebrew male child, to throw it into the Nile River. And the goal was to eliminate the males and marry the girls into the other cultures that were slaves, and in doing so, eliminate the Jewish, the, Isra- the, the culture of the Israelite people. And so, in this circumstance, and it's kind of where we looked a little bit um, we, last week, but we're going to go into more detail of these years, God saw the Israelites and God knew. He saw their slavery. He saw their oppression. He saw the bitterness that they lived in, and he knew. He felt it along with them. And it's in this circumstance that, if you remember, the, the life, the story of Moses really kicks off. He's born. His mother protects him. He ends up uh, being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, a privileged childhood. He, he ends up going into the, the wilderness and lives to 40 years out there. And about the age of 80, he sees a burning bush on a, on a mountaintop. And he goes up there and it ends up being God himself revealing himself and calling Moses to do a specific ministry. And this is what God says to him in Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, And I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so God's plan is he calls Moses and sends Moses because he wants Moses to lead the children of Israel, God's chosen people, out of slavery in Egypt. And that brings us to the Exodus. Now, some of you are like, well, wait, we've been reading from Exodus. Yes, it is a book in the Bible. But it is also an event in the life of God's chosen people. And so we look at the Exodus. It is historically recorded in the book of Exodus. And Exodus just means to go out from. It means to be taken out of. And so 
What is the exodus and what is the story of the exodus? Well, it starts with God's people in slavery in Egypt. Moses, a single man, is given charge to lead all of them, a couple million people at least, out of slavery and into the land that God had promised them, the land of Israel. And so Moses, <coughs> excuse me, and his brother Aaron, whom God had given to Moses as a, a helper, because Moses, well, he complained a little bit, said, I don't speak so good, so can you give me somebody, you know, and then God gives him Aaron. And Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. So Moses and Aaron, they don't cut, um, or they don't, they don't beat around the bush at all, they cut right to the chase. They walk up to the, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and they say to him, hey, our God says to let his people go. And um, here's how Pharaoh responds. Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. And, and Pharaoh's response, it, it makes perfect sense in this context because Pharaoh is a pagan. He worships, excuse me, the, uh, the gods of Egypt. And so these gods of Egypt... Yahweh is not included. The, the, the uh, God of the Israelites is not included in the pantheon of the Egyptian gods. And so Pharaoh has no respect for the God of Israel. And this question is actually going to come back to haunt Pharaoh, ultimately. Because Pharaoh says, I don't know God, so I'm not going to do what he says. So in response to this call from Moses and Aaron and their God to free his people, the Israelites, Pharaoh takes away the, the straw that they would use to make bricks. And so part of the slave conditions that the Israelites were under is they would have to take clay and straw and make bricks in order to build buildings. And m most of us have seen the Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt, you know, and, and we've seen the, the, the slogging through the mud and, and the, <coughs> excuse me, the hard work that that is. But, but what we don't understand is that, you know, straw was critical to the making of bricks and because uh, they held the bricks together and Pharaoh said, well, I'm going to take away the straw. Now you got to find your own. And I, I can't even think of a comparison, but it was a it added a lot of trouble to the life of the Israelites. So, of course, their response is not Moses. Thank you for coming to save us. But instead, they go to Moses and they complain and they're angry at Moses. And Moses responds with a prayer to God. So Moses, he goes back to the Lord and he asks, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for his, this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to try a sip of coffee and see if that helps. If not, I might have to go to something harder. I got an energy drink in my back, backpack, but... It really feels weird to stand in front of a group of people and take a drink. I just, I got to tell you that. It's like, because you're all just like, okay. <laughs> anyway, Moses' first response, when, when, when things don't go his way, don't, don't go the way he expects, he thought he'd be able to go into Pharaoh and say, let everybody go, because my God's bigger than your God. And Pharaoh's response is, I'm going to make their lives even worse. The people complain to Moses, and Moses complains to God and says, Wait, you haven't even rescued your people yet. 
Why is this taking so long, God? What's going on here? Well, the Lord replies to Moses in Exodus chapter 6 and says, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. You see, God had a plan the whole time. It was first to give Pharaoh the opportunity to let his people go. And now God is going to prove to Pharaoh who he is. Remember, what's Pharaoh's response when when Moses and Aaron say, Our God says to let his people go. I don't know your God. He doesn't matter to me. I don't even care. And now God is saying to Moses, I'm going to show him who I am. I'm going to show him why I should be obeyed. I'm going to show him just how big a God I am. The Lord answered Moses a little bit later and says this to him. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you, then Aaron your brother must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from this land. And then Moses, or excuse me, then God says to Moses, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. In other words, God's telling Moses this is going to be a process. This, this exodus, this escape from slavery, it's not going to happen all at once. It's not going to be a, you're going to snap your fingers and all of a sudden you're gone. It's going to take time. And you're going to see lots of signs and wonders in the meantime, here in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. So God promises Moses that he will do the work of freeing his people, and it's going to take time, and there are going to be some signs and wonders, which should be really exciting. So as, as this continues, as this unfolds, God promises this to Moses. He says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. As we watch this story, as we see this unfold, these very words of Pharaoh in the beginning, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Well, God says, here's what this whole circumstance is going to bring about. Everyone, the Egyptians, everyone in this nation will know that I am the Lord. And so we see that what God is doing is he is using the circumstances of his people and his work in their lives to give evidence of himself to the culture around them. And, and this is maybe something that many of us struggle with as Christians. We wonder why do bad things happen to good people? Why, why must we struggle? Why, why do we see things not go our way? And it is how we behave in response to God's faithful love to us and, and how he does miracles in our lives that is the, the process of him revealing himself through us. And so sometimes the suffering that comes is it's a challenge, it's hard, it's like slavery, and we cry out, why God? And his answer will be to us, give me time, I'm going to get you through this, but I want the world to see just who I am. And, and so we, we see that reflected here in the Exodus. And, and as it continues, the next thing that God does through Moses is uh, God tells Moses to throw down, have Aaron throw down his staff, his, his stick, his big walking stick. And, and uh, Aaron does that. It turns into a snake. Isn't that cool? Don't you wish you could do a cool parlor trick like that at the next party you attend? I mean, snake. But not only that, what happens next is the Egyptian magicians 
turned their staffs into snakes as well. So Pharaoh's not super impressed with Aaron, not super impressed with the God of Moses, who can do the same thing that his gods can do. Now, interestingly, what happens next is Aaron's snake eats the snakes of the magicians to show that God has dominance over those false gods. And so <clears throat> what, what continues to unfold here is Moses doesn't impress Pharaoh. God's miracle doesn't impress Pharaoh. And here's what happens. Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them just like the Lord had said. So Pharaoh is a man. He, he hardens his heart. He has a hard heart. He does not respond to the prompts of God. He does not look at the miracles and, and have faith. Instead, he has disbelief and sticks with his own desires. And so God gets serious. And we see over the course of the next few chapters in Exodus, the ten plagues unfold. Now, what are the ten plagues? We'll look at them, and we're going to look at, at a couple of things. We're going to look at the plague itself and what it is, the consequences of the plague upon the Egyptian people, and then Pharaoh's response. In other words, what does this plague do to the heart of Pharaoh? And there are going to be ten different plagues. They begin in uh, Exodus chapter 7. So I would encourage you, if you've got your Bible, to open that up physically, to get out your Bible app, and just kind of follow along Exodus chapter 7. We also have our event is in the Bible app, so you can follow along that way as well. But each of these plagues, God is going to use to condemn one of the false gods of Egypt, but also to show who he is to Moses, to Aaron, to the Israelites, to Pharaoh, and to all of Egypt. And so each of these plagues is going to have a, a powerful impact upon the people of Egypt. So the first plague that we see in Scripture, chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, is God has Moses and Aaron do a miracle through his power, and the water of the Nile River is turned to blood. And, and the whole Nile River, which is the, the center of life here, it is, it's where the, the, the necessary water for all the agriculture, the necessary water for everyday living comes from, the Nile River turns to blood. It'd be like a miracle like the Mon and the Allegheny turning clean. Um, <laughs> that's how life-changing it would be, right? Um, but, but the Nile River turns to blood. All of the fish die. It begins to stink. It is absolutely undrinkable for a week. Now, what's interesting, this miracle, the magicians of Pharaoh were able to copy it. They were able to take water and turn it into blood. Now you might wonder, well, was this some sort of parlor trick? Is this some sort of, you know, uh, just prestidigitation? No, we can honestly believe that, that Satan, that the, the deceivers can do miracles to a certain extent. And so what happens when the Nile River turns to blood is that Pharaoh still has a hard heart. He doesn't respond to God. He isn't willing to respond in faith. The second plague Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, we see frogs. Scripture tells us that frogs, they come up from the Nile, they cover the whole land. There are frogs everywhere. They're in the houses, they're in your private spaces. That was just frogs everywhere coming up out of the Nile. And I can't even imagine one little mouse, that's just not cool. Can, just, can you imagine a whole house full of frogs swarming up 
out of the Nile River. And uh, so this is uncomfortable <laughs> and kind of gross. The magicians are actually able to copy this, to have frogs come out of nowhere, essentially. Uh, this lasts for a few days, and then when it's over, they end up gathering up all the frogs and end up with piles of frogs. Um, ugh, that's kind of gross. Can you imagine? Um, either that or you have a big frog boil and go for it, right? I don't know. What happens here? Pharaoh hardened his own heart, is what Scripture says. It says that Pharaoh saw the miracle, and he made a choice to reject God. It wasn't just that, that he was struggling to have faith. It was he made a deliberate choice to reject the God of Israel and not accept this miracle as something that was worth responding to. The next plague, <clears throat> the, uh, the third plague here is either, depends on your translations, it's either gnats, which is bad, or lice, which would be even worse. But it's tiny bugs, and uh, Scripture tells us that, that God had Moses and Aaron uh, take some dust to, to throw it up in the air, and the dust of the land turns to gnats. The magicians... In this third plague, they could not copy it. And they themselves declared this plague to be the hand of God. Now, why is this significant? Because even the, the religious elite of Egypt are all of a sudden saying, whoa, there's something special going on here. This is, this is something that, that none of our gods can do. This is something that only the God could ever accomplish. And yet... Pharaoh, it says, his heart was still hard. He would not respond to God. The next plague, flies. As if frogs and gnats or lice were not enough, now we've got flies. And we're not talking, you know, gnats, the little buzzy, teetsy, get in your ears kind of flies. Anybody have those big black ones, you know, with the rainbow skin and they're just like, ugh. Um, we're talking flies, and they're everywhere. It says that thick swarms of flies that actually had the ability to, to ruin the land were everywhere in Egypt, except in the land of Goshen, which is where the Israelites lived. And so flies are all over the place, except in the land of Goshen, where God's chosen people live, and then the flies dissipate. And yet at the end of all of this plague... Pharaoh chose to reject God. So we see this, this trend in each of these plagues. These miracles happen. God is revealing his power to the extent that the religious leaders of Egypt at the time, they're saying, this isn't any of our gods. This has got to be a God that's even more powerful. We need to, to listen to him. We need to listen to Moses and Aaron and respond to them. And Pharaoh, the ruler, he either has a hard heart and refuses or he deliberately chooses to harden his own heart. In other words, deliberately chooses to reject the work of God and say, this doesn't apply to me. The next plague, so this is one, two, three, four, plague five, <laughs> is the death of the livestock. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 of Exodus. We see that all the livestock in the fields just drop dead except for in the land of Goshen. And so um, we have these piles of dead animals everywhere, all over the place, except 
where God's people live. Now, what happens with Pharaoh? He has a hard heart. He continues to not be softened. He's not necessarily making a deliberate choice to reject God and his work, but he doesn't care and is indifferent to this plague. The next plague, the plague of boils. And this is, this is just like, ugh. Uh, plague of boils, chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Who knows what a boil is? You can raise your hand ever so sheepishly. Uh, uh, yeah, so we got a couple of folks. We're, so boils, it, that doesn't mean that your water for tea comes to temperature very quickly. Um, that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about huge pimples. And, and uh, essentially, and, and not just like one or two on, on your face or anyway. I don't want to go into too much detail, but you've watched Pimple Popper, right? So it's, a, you know, it's those kinds of things, except all over, everywhere. And they're painful, and they're uncomfortable. And so God inflicts all of the Egyptians with boils. And this lasts for a number of days. And then Scripture tells us something interesting, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We see that that at this point, it's actually God's will for these plagues to continue. It's God's plan for these plagues to continue. And so God takes and hardens Pharaoh's heart. In other words, God, by supernatural act, leads Pharaoh to reject him. Now, we might struggle with this. We might look at that and go, why would God do something like that? And you know what um, Scripture's answer to us is? God does what he wants. That's actually Romans chapter 9. The Apostle Paul actually uses this as an example of the potter doing with the clay what he desires. God will harden whom he will harden. He will soften whom he will soften. He's going to show mercy to whom he will show mercy. And he'll pour out his wrath to those whom he has chosen to pour out his wrath on. And at this point, in this circumstance, God has chosen to harden Pharaoh's heart so that the plagues might continue. So here's what God says, Exodus chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. For this time, I am about to send all my plagues against you, your officials, and your people. Then you will know there is no one like me on the whole earth. Why was God continuing these plagues? So that the Egyptians would know that there is no other God like him. That he is the only God on this earth. God says to them, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. You see, God said, it would have actually been easy to just wipe you people out. And you deserve it. But... I have used you in these plagues so that you might see my power and that the whole world might know who I am. Now, we might look and go, that's kind of pompous. Not when you are the perfect, holy, one true God of all creation. He deserves this. This is his due. This is his right for the world to know who he is. And so he is using these plagues to reveal to the world around the Egyptians just how powerful and awesome he is. Next plague that rolls down from the heavens, Exodus chapter 9, verses 
uh, 18 through 35, we see hail that comes down from the sky. So hail. And it's hail with lightning. Some of your translations might actually say it's hail with fire. Either way, it ain't cool. I mean, you know, if you've ever been out in just the pea-sized hail and how painful that is to get caught in that, how destructive it is by the time it hits, you know, a quarter size and then golf ball size hail. And uh, we've had family members who got caught in hailstorms that uh, the hail was big enough to go straight through rooftops on cars. And, and just, man, how destructive hail can be. And here's what happens. It destroys the people. It destroys animals. It destroys all the crops that are in the field growing at that time. And it destroys all the trees in Egypt. And it's just amazing to see what God is willing to do to reveal his power and who he is to these Egyptian people and to all of us. Pharaoh's response, he had a hard heart. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may do these miraculous signs of mine among them. And so that you may tell your son and grandson how severely I dealt with the Egyptians and performed miraculous signs among them. And you will know that I am the Lord. Why did God allow these plagues? Why did God do these plagues? He wanted to show the Egyptians who he was. He wanted to show the whole world who he was. And he also wanted to show his own people who he was. He wanted to reveal to everyone that he is the one true God. The God of all creation, the God who is over every other God of our own making and choosing. That none of the Egyptian gods had any power or authority over him. Encourage you, if you are curious about this, you can go to gotquestions.org and look up the plagues of the Exodus, the ten plagues. And in there they will list all of the Egyptian gods that each of these plagues stood in affront to. In other words, how when God gave frogs, that there's an Egyptian god with the head of a frog who's in charge of something special that I can't remember, and that very plague showed that he was powerless, that god, against the one god of creation. So we we see that God's plan in this is to reveal himself to the whole world. The next thing that we see, the next plague, plague number eight, locusts, chapter 10, verses 3 through 20. Locusts. So locusts, you guys know locusts, they're, they're big grasshoppers, they, they come in swarms, they eat everything when they come through, and the locusts ate all the remaining crops and filled the homes. Now you might say, well wait, what? there shouldn't be any crops because they were all destroyed by the hail, right? Right, we understand, what you need to understand is the exodus took place over the course of probably about a year to two years, it looks like. When we do the timing out, and scripture tells us that the hail came at, at one season when certain crops were in the field, and the locusts came in a different season when a whole different set of crops had had time to be established in the field. So this is taking months to unfold, not just moments. And so locusts eat all of the, the crops that are left in the field, and God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why? Because God has established and ordained that these plagues will continue. Plague number nine, darkness. Chapter 10, verses 21 through 29, we see that darkness falls over the whole land of Egypt, but not the area where the Israelites lived, the land of Goshen in Egypt. 
So this darkness, it says that, that one person couldn't distinguish another. It was so dark. If you've ever been, like, you know, in a haunted house, they try and get it that dark, you know, where you're going through hallways where you can't see anything. Then some smarter like, always turns the light on on their watch and lights the hallway, right? Or pulls out a phone and, yeah, anyway. But, but darkness, so deep, so dark that people couldn't even distinguish one another in the darkness. And, and it's interesting, it doesn't tell us that anything overcame that darkness. So it's not like, so all of Egypt lit every candle they had. But this darkness is supernatural and absorbs all of the light in every form or fashion. So you couldn't just pull out your flashlight. Except in the land of Goshen, where everything was as normal. God protected his people. God kept them from the plague. And then it tells us that God, once again hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was God's will that these plagues continue. And so we get to the last of the plagues. The Lord says to Moses in Exodus 11.1, 1, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. God says it's going to happen in such a way, not only will Pharaoh just say, yeah, you guys can go, but he will be saying, get out of here, people. I'm tired of having you around. And then God says this to Moses. He says, here's what I want you to do. Announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. In addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So God tells Moses, one more plague, and what I want you to do is tell all the people to go to all the Egyptians they know and ask for silver and gold. And guess what? They're going to give it to you. I'm going to give you favor with all of the Egyptians, and I'm going to make you highly favored amongst the Egyptians. And this is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy that God had given Abram earlier. Remember, he had told Abram that his offspring would be resident aliens. They would be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years in a foreign country. Well, that had already come true. And then the second part is, however... I will judge the nation they serve. We've seen this unfolding. Nine plagues already and a tenth to come. I will judge the nation they serve. And afterward, when it's all done, they will go out with many possessions. We see this unfolding. God gives all of the Israelites favor with their neighbors who begin to give them gold and silver as they prepare to leave. And that brings us to the tenth plague. And a plague that I, I just can't even wrap my head around in so many ways. This plague is the death of the firstborn. And uh, Exodus 11 and 12 kind of detail what happens here. First, Moses tells Pharaoh what will happen. And then scripture records what does happen. So um, what happens in this plague is that every firstborn son and every firstborn animal amongst the Egyptians die. So just a quick, quick uh, poll. Firstborn sons in here. Any others? Um, you're gone. Okay, so some of you are like, oh, wow, that'd be me. And, and not as many as I imagined, so um, I guess we can lose that. That's cool. Um, we're still doing pretty good. Oh, wait, it's me. Um, but but so, so all of the firstborn sons die. And what happens, though, is amongst God's people is a, a Passover, that death passes over their household. We're going to look at the Passover in a little more detail here in a second. But by the time this last plague is over, Pharaoh insists that the Israelites leave. 
His heart had his heart his heart had been hard all the way up to this moment. But when his son dies and he sees the power of God, it hits him deeply and he insists that the people of God leave. Now, Passover It's a completely different experience for the Israelites. Instead of their firstborns dying, what happens is God says to them, I want you to do something in faith so that your firstborn sons will not die. And so God says, we're going to call this the Passover because the angel of death will pass over your house if you do this. I want you to take an unblemished one-year-old male sheep or goat. And I want you to slaughter it as the sun is going down on the night that this is going to occur. So as the sun is going down, you'll slaughter this animal and then you'll take the blood and you will put it on your doorpost and your lintels of your house. Now, doorpost and lintel is the two sides and the top. Now, if, if you can see that in the background there, so the, the uh, illustration of the Israelite applying the blood. What, what an interesting shape this is in, right? To, to put blood on the, the doorposts and the lintel. And we can, we can all see the shape of, of, of what's unfolding, even, even here, can't we? Of a sacrifice of an unblemished male that's slaughtered for the sake of those who reside in the house, and its blood is placed on the doorway. Now they were supposed to sit around together at night and roast the meat over the fire and eat it all with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And if there was any leftover, they weren't supposed to take it up and have cold lamb the next day. They were supposed to burn all of it in the fire that night and none of it was to be left over. Now why is this? This Passover meal, it's established and and God actually makes it a yearly practice for his people to remind them that a sacrifice was necessary, that they might be kept from death. That blood on the doorpost preserved their lives that night. And so God says this, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so this animal is sacrificed. The blood is applied to the doors so that the angel of death might pass over God's people. And so after it all happens, of course, Pharaoh has a huge change of heart. And he summons Moses and Aaron and during the night and says, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds if you had, as you have asked and leave. And also, bless me. <laughs> Interesting request at the end there, right? Pharaoh, he finally understands the power of God. He finally understands what he's been up against. He sends them out, and as he sends them out, his final request to them is, Please bless me. Please allow me to be blessed as you are. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country. For they said, we're all going to die. All of the Egyptians finally understood the God of the Israelites was the one true God who could take life at any moment. And it was time to get rid of his people and allow them to go. Now, Pharaoh lets the 
the Israelites go, but we all know the story, don't we? He has a change of heart, decides to chase them. They come to the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. They come to this, this body of water. They can go no further. God splits the Red Sea. They cross over on dry land, and then Pharaoh's army chases them, and God collapses the sea back on Pharaoh's army and destroys them. And the Israelites, they're free. They've been set free from slavery. The exodus is over. They're out. They're good to go. And so we see this this, this whole beautiful story. And at the end of this Red Sea experience, at the end of this freedom that's been given to them by the power of God, here's what it says. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord and believed in him. They looked at what God had done and they said, there is no God but ours. And he is worth putting all of our trust in. And they believed in and trusted his servant, Moses. And so as we look at this big picture, remember this this is a a difficult series in in, in the sense that we're, we're covering lots of stuff, right? And I know I've asked you to absorb a lot of a lot of history and a lot of information to get us through this Exodus experience with the Israelites. Because they've gone from from blessed people with their own land to to being cared for by God because of his provision through the work of Joseph in the land of Egypt. And now after 400 years, they're slaves. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to set you free. And over the course of a, a season, a couple of years at most, God uses Moses and Aaron and he does miracles and he sends plagues and convinces the whole world that he's the one true God and he is to be honored and worshiped and obeyed. The Israelites send them out. They are finally free. Pharaoh's whole army is destroyed and God has done great things in order to bring freedom to his people. Big story, hard to absorb it all. Ten plagues. You're curious, take time, read more, dig more into each of these plagues. But I want you to just kind of revisit the whole story in your mind. And we're not necessarily going to focus on anything, but to look instead at the whole story as symbolic of our stories. We've all been in slavery to sin. We have all, Scripture tells us, been in the chains of wrongdoing, destined for eternal death. But God loved us so much, he sent someone to lead us to freedom. Jesus, his only begotten son. And Jesus didn't just come to lead us to freedom like Moses, but Jesus actually came and is also the Passover lamb. The one who gives his life so that death might pass us over. And bring us to a point where we can be truly and genuinely free. And so we see in Jesus, not just a Moses, but he's also our lamb. And for all of us, the story of the Exodus can be our story too. We can be set free from the slavery of sin. We can be set free from the old way of life and brought into new things. But we have to listen to God. And we have to be willing to follow him into this freedom and into this new way of life. So 
couple things that this whole picture teaches us, though, about God. Number one, his promises are certain. God had promised that his people would be slaves and that he would make them free. And he did it. God's promises are always certain. And so when we read in Scripture that your sins can be forgiven and you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, eh, I don't know. I mean, look at me. Look at how I've lived. Look at who I am. Yes, even your sins can be forgiven because God has promised it. And his promises are certain. You maybe walk down a path too far and feel like I've messed too much up. It doesn't matter. God can take all of us, no matter how deep our slavery, and lead us into new life. Because his promises are certain. 2 Corinthians 1.20 excuse me, tells us about Jesus. Every one of God's promises is yes in him. In other words, what Paul is trying to say about Jesus is that when we look at the cross, when we look at the, the, the leader, the, the Passover lamb, the freedom that God gave us in his son Jesus, all the Old Testament promises are fulfilled by faith in him. Everything, forgiveness of sin, new life, freedom, it all comes through Jesus and Jesus only. Therefore, through him we also say amen to the glory of God. What does amen mean? Anybody remember? So be it. I agree. Yes, yes, it is true. We glorify God because in Jesus we see all of his promises fulfilled. And Jesus came not just for a select few people, but for everyone who would believe on him and trust on him as Lord and Savior. God's promises are certain. And let me tell you the truth, and it doesn't matter uh, who would deny it. God's power and glory, they're known by everyone. Everyone knows God's power and glory. We, we have it, the, the history of it in the Bible, but we also have a sunrise every morning and a sunset every night. We also have trees and rocks and plants that sing the glory and power of God. I was out in the garden yesterday, and uh, we've been blessed this year. We've grown lots of great weeds and some tomatoes. And, uh, and, and I, just, I have to make a confession. I have killed two mounds of zucchini. Right? And you're looking at me and wondering, what is wrong with you, Michael? Are you cursed? Yes, I cannot grow zucchini. Can you? Okay, so anyway, it, only those who know gardening are amazed by that. I cannot grow zucchini. That is like, zucchini should be the easiest thing in the world. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. It seems like we've got some, uh, some recommendations. I, uh, but I'm out picking, I'm picking tomatoes, right? And I grab a tomato, and you know what happens? Right at the top of the tomato... Where, where, where the, the, the stem starts, it just snaps right off. And it, it, it's like it was built to just snap right off, right there. It, it's, just, it's, it's amazing. Like, there was a God who intentionally made this little red package full of goodness and deliciousness. And right at the top, it, it just quick detach for easy portability. <laughs> right? I, I mean... Dawn opened a banana yesterday. Do you know how amazing a banana is? Right? I mean, just zip, zip. What? Why? Look, 
when we look at just the world around us, look at your hand. Look at your, look at your, you see that? Everybody knows there's a God. All of us do. Here's what scripture says, Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Look, the Egyptians, they didn't really need these plagues to come to a point where they knew that God was God, but God used those plagues because they had hardened their heart and they had created gods of their own desires and their own makings. And he had to use those plagues to wake them up to who he really was, the one true God of all creation. May we not be like that. None of us can make any excuse. Just look at your hands. Look at a tomato. Look at a banana. Look at a tree. How amazing they all are and how they all sing out the very existence and power and glory of the one true God. And then this last thing for us, those of us who have come to a place where we see God's promises to be true, where we understand he is full of power and glory, that he, this last thing should just get us excited, that Jesus, his son, the one we read about in the New Testament, he is our deliverer, he is our Passover lamb, and he is our God. Scripture says this to us in Romans chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, and some of you might recognize one of these verses. But now, since you have been set free from sin, what does that imply? That you were a slave, that you were in bondage. And, and some of you, you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, potentially, and you feel like you're in bondage. You feel the chains of all of your choices weighing you down every day of your life. And I'm here to tell you that there is freedom. And it was provided for you about 2,000 years ago by the only begotten Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, according to Scriptures. He was buried, and then he rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. You've been set free from sin, and you now are enslaved to God. You have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in, Jesus, or in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You can be free. You don't have to burden or labor anymore under the burden of sin. Instead, if you were to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your freedom will be as genuine and real as the freedom of the Israelite people as they marched out of Egypt. That the freedom from sin is just as genuine and real as the freedom from oppressive rulers. And in fact, it's more genuine and real in that it lasts forever. And your freedom will be fulfilled for eternity. We're told to do this. Clean out the old leaven. In other words, the old way of doing life. The old countries we used to live in. Our old choices. So that you may be a new unleavened batch. As indeed you are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus was sacrificed 
for you. And now will you take his blood and apply it to the doorpost of your life and in so doing, experience the freedom that can come only from him. Therefore, let us observe the feast not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The story of the Exodus, it can be your story as well. And today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never taken and applied the blood of the Passover Lamb who is Christ to your own life and believed the promises of God, I want to encourage you to to talk to somebody about it. Don't let the rest of this day pass before saying, how might I be set free? How can I know what you know? How can I be kept alive by the very blood of Jesus Because these things are true. God's promises are certain. God's power and glory are known to all because he has revealed himself so clearly in plagues, in creation, in miracles, in changed lives. And for everyone who will believe on him, Jesus can be your deliverer, your Passover lamb, and your one true God. This morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And as we get ready to close out with our last song of the day, Would you just open our hearts and our minds to the truth of the Exodus? That this is not just the story of some people long ago, though it is that. It is also a story that can be ours. I pray that everyone here today would see your promises of freedom from sin. To see your promises of new life in a new land. To see your promises of an eternity with you. And that they would be encouraged to turn to the one that you sent, the Deliverer, your Son, Jesus. We pray that all of us would receive him as our Lord and Savior. That we would be able to make the choice to apply his blood to the doorpost and lintel of our life. That we might experience eternal life and be brought to freedom, even as your Israelite people. Thank you for sending a Redeemer for us. Thank you for giving us the potential for new life and freedom pray that many of us would walk away this morning renewed in that or experiencing it for the first time. Thank you for your history, God, because it reveals to us that you've always been at work. You're so powerful. You're so full of glory, and we should worship you. Thank you for the beauty of your stories. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our last song.
promise of new life is for everyone who would believe. Will you listen to the God who is calling you out of slavery, providing the deliverer, providing the lamb that you might be free? Or are you going to have a hard heart like Pharaoh? He's going to say, that's not for me. This morning, I hope that your heart will be open and that you will receive the good news of freedom that God has for you. If you've got questions, come and talk. God bless you all. We'll see you throughout the week in small group stuff and then next Sunday morning, Sunday Bible school at 937 and our service at 1045. Enjoy every moment.